Kicking off the bulletin for Christmas Eve, this story on Christmas time. The season dedicated to peace on earth and goodwill to men is with us again. And while good wishes will be expressed on all sides, the turmoil, industrial and otherwise, that is proceeding throughout practically all countries of the world cannot be other than reflected in the festive season. Since the Great War ended, a feeling of unrest has permeated the human family. The desire for the amelioration and betterment of the conditions of the workers generally, in all climes, seems to be the moving spirit directing operations. But whether the methods adopted to secure the end in view can be carried out successfully is doubtful. The world is faced with difficulties and dangers ahead, the outcome of which it is hard to predict, and the task of the leaders of the nations in trying to adjust the conditions to the satisfaction of all is no light one. It is with the hope that the coming year will see the closing of industrial and other forms of strife and the settling down of the people of the world to make good the ravages of war that we wish our readers a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. These good tidings from the Blythe Agriculturalist in South Australia. For December 24, 1920, this was the news. This was the news is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news from this date many years ago and shares it with you in one news bulletin. I'm Roderick Matthews, bringing you the stories of hope and goodwill to all in this special Christmas Eve episode of This Was The News. Merry Christmas one and all, and welcome to the December 24 Christmas Eve special of This Was The News this week, bringing you stories of Christmas a century ago, from the year 1920. The first big piece for today's bulletin comes from The Age in Melbourne, Victoria, and it's all about two methods of the observance of Christmas in Australia. There are two opinions in Australia as to how Christmas ought to be observed, and there is consequently a sharp divergence in the methods of observance. While the bulk of the people rush to the various seaside and country resorts there to spend a rollicking holiday without as much as a thought to the origin or traditions of the principal day in the Christian calendar, there are others, apparently a diminishing number, who still strive against the handicap of these modern times in an endeavour to retain at least Christmas Day as an occasion for spiritual rejoicing, thanksgiving and prayer. Tomorrow morning, these two sections of the community will be at cross-purposes in the vicinity of Flinders Street Station, as the churchgoers thread their way across a strong opposing current of humanity. Each will be openly contemptuous of the other. Wowzers, one side will mutter, and the other will murmur a lament about poor deluded sinners. Each, however, will pass on its way rejoicing, quite satisfied that it is putting the greatest day of the year to the best possible use. For the holiday makers this Christmas, there is a serious hitch in the transport arrangements. The shipping hold-up has practically isolated Tasmania, which is a much-favoured resort at this time of year, and it has also seriously interfered with the conduct of interstate traffic. 
The consequence is that a greatly increased burden will be thrown upon the railways, and it may confidently be predicted that the customary overcrowding of the holiday trains will be very considerably aggravated. Past experience has shown that no one will be deterred from leaving home on this account, and, in fact, the railway figures up to the present indicate that the bookings to almost every resort will be well above the average, and if the hot summer weather continues, will probably be a record. Charles Bank and motor car proprietors will reap a rich harvest in endeavouring to supplement the inadequate train services. Boarding establishments that cater for tourists in both this and the other states are now generally meeting inquiries for accommodation with a stereotyped reply to the effect that they are booked up for several weeks. Those would-be travellers who have not secured their accommodation have little hope of getting in now except at one or other of the less popular resorts with a reputation for being rather slow. In Melbourne, the theatres and other places of entertainment announce special matinee and evening performances. Amateur sports, particularly cricket, will provide a day's enjoyment for many thousands. On the other side of the picture, the churches are preparing solemnly and reverently to observe the day in a more traditional manner. They will make it a day of special choral and devotional services, some of which will commence as early as 6am and be continued throughout the day. Special choral services will be general in the evening. And that's the news out of Christmas in Melbourne. What's happening the following day back in 1920? But let's move around the country now and a few bits and pieces of Christmas news from across the papers. This next one comes from the Cairns Post in Queensland on Christmas Strangers. Christmas week finds many strangers in the streets of Cairns, the cane cutters, the mill hands and other workers from the country who have either finished for the season or are enjoying a few days leave of absence from their jobs have come to town bringing big cheques with them. They're spending their money freely and hotel keepers report good business. That that is so is reflected during the week in the increasing number of men charged in the police court with drunkenness. But, some men would say, they spent a miserable Christmas if they had not accepted the invitation of good old Omar to drink to the full of the cup that cheers. Cheers indeed. Cheers to a Merry Christmas. And speaking of Christmas cheer, this piece on exactly that comes from the Brisbane Courier. Christmas cheer, in the form of 271 parcels containing groceries, meat and dainties, was distributed to families in poor circumstances at the Brisbane City Mission premises at the corner of Anne and Warren Streets yesterday. The General Secretary of the Mission, along with many volunteers, carried out the work. Mr Grimes interviewed the applicants and filled in orders for meat for them after the supply of four-quarter weight of pig's cheeks had been exhausted. He also slipped a return tram fare into their hands and saw that the children, who sometimes accompanied their mothers, received a bag of lollies. In every parcel of groceries was a little luxury given by the Christian Endeavour Societies and Sunday schools. Two kinds of parcels were distributed, one containing goods valued at 12 and 6 and another at 9 and 6 for smaller families. The persons who received the benefits included 69 widows with 199 children, 15 deserted wives with 41 children, 76 husbands with 273 children, 
51 out-of-work husbands with 182 children, and 51 old couples. All these cases have been recommended by ministers of different denominations or by benevolent societies. Mr Grimes pointed out that in cases where families who were too proud to call for the parcels, the goods were left at their homes. In the afternoon, parcels were distributed to emergency cases. Great to see that Christmas goodwill existing back in 1920. And it doesn't just extend to those uh, poor families, it extends to the sick children as well, as the leader from Orange points out. The children who are lying on beds of illness in the Orange Hospital will not go short of a visit from Santa Claus. Mrs Sid Tate has seen to it that their little hearts will be made glad, the same as other wee mites in their own homes, by giving up a portion of her time this week to collecting toys for them from the business houses in town who have responded generously. The milk of human kindness forms a large portion of the makeup of Mrs Tate, who is ever a soft spot in her heart for poor children and the ray of sunshine which will brighten up the little invalids' faces on Christmas morning when they receive their gifts will more than compensate Mrs Tate for her trouble. Good on you, Mrs Tate. And from a couple of stories of good news, let's finish with a bit of bad Christmas news. This story of an unlucky Father Christmas comes from the Daily Advertiser in Wagga. At a children's party at a house in Bent Street, Northcote, the lighted candles on the Christmas tree set fire to the costume of Ernest Rosenfeld, aged 22 years, who was impersonating Father Christmas. The inflammable material of the costume blazed quickly and Rosenfeld received painful burns. He was taken to the Melbourne hospital and admitted suffering from extensive burns on the neck and arms and shock. Good tip for you there, folks. If you are expecting Father Christmas on Christmas night, make sure the fire in your fireplace is out. With that, let's take a short break. That present? We are exhibiting a delightful range of perfumery, colognes, powders, soaps, manicure sets in variety, brushware, safety razors, dressing cases and more. Also, Lowney's chocolates in presentation boxes. Call in at Craig the Chemist. Wells and Sons Limited of La Trobe offer their greetings to all with the merriest possible Christmas time and may the new year bring us all peace and prosperity. It is indeed an eventful period, but with the aid of our gallant defenders, we look to the future with the utmost confidence, and it is with pleasure that we announce our good fortune in being able to provide a grand display of gifts, which are so varied that they will prove our immortal friend Father Christmas experienced one of his happiest moods. We invite everybody to our great Christmas fair and promise the most enjoyable experience... Bring the little ones. We want you all to see the fine collection of novelties and seasonable goods in all departments. And further, we are determined to offer some remarkable values. Stylish summer apparel at enormously reduced prices. Head to Wells and Sons Limited in Latrobe.
Welcome back to the special Christmas Eve episode of This Was The News with Christmas stories from across the country on December 24, 1920. Yes, it's a Christmas one century ago. Let's head back to Melbourne now and the Argus reports on these Christmas-tide holiday attractions. Although Melbourne seems to be on the threshold of great industrial trouble, the population will continue to enjoy itself in the brief respite that Christmas brings. Christmas Day, tomorrow, will be principally given over to private social functions in accordance with the decrees of custom. A full programme of sporting and theatrical events has been arranged for the Boxing Day holiday, which will be celebrated on Monday. Much, of course, depends upon the weather. The list of holiday fixtures might be said to begin today with the cricket match between New South Wales and Victoria, which will be resumed on Monday. The Hopeton Cup and other races will be run at the VATC races at Caulfield on Boxing Day, and several country meetings will be held. An aerial derby and flying carnival at the Epsom Racecourse should provide an interesting demonstration. Lawn tennis and bowling clubs will hold tournaments. Golf competitions will take place over links in the metropolitan area and the country. And swimming and other aquatic events will be held at Brighton Beach and Bendigo. The Melbourne Athletic Club's program of events at Maribyrnong will be continued tomorrow. The exhibition oval will be the scene of a sports carnival on Monday. Lovers of Oratario will be able to hear Handel's Messiah performed by the Melbourne Philharmonic Society on Christmas night at the Town Hall. Pantomime holds sway at several of the theatres, all of which have arranged special holiday attractions. Railway and steamer excursions to the country and the seaside are announced, circumstances permitting, a phrase which causes one to think. Yes, I'm not sure what circumstances permitting means back in 1920. I feel like now we'd know exactly what that means with COVID and various other social distancing. But uh, in 1920, I think they were just hedging their bets. Moving on to Western Australia now and the Goomalling and Dower and Mail talks about uh, various local and general Christmas news. Tomorrow, Christmas Day Mass will be celebrated in St Joseph's Church, Northam, at 7 and 8.30 o'clock, at Irish Town at 10.30, Cunnerton at 8 and Meckering at 10. Mr R.S. Manning of Fitzgerald Street, Northam, whose business premises are right opposite the Palace Theatre, has a magnificent stock of English and Australian confectionery on hand for the Christmas season. Mr Mannering also serves the choicest of icy drinks, which are always greatly availed of by a large number of patrons, and he has made special arrangements for today and tonight to cope with the wants of his many patrons. Father Christmas will hold levies at Walker's Bookstore, opposite the Union Bank Northam, from 3 to 5pm and 7 to 9pm today, and hopes to meet all his little friends and extend to them the compliments of the season. This emporium has an immense stock of toys suitable for children of all ages, and the proprietor has made arrangements for assistant hands to cope with the rush of trade which is sure to be centred at this popular place of business. Mr Walker also has a fine show of toilet sets, earthen plateware, hairbrushes, pipes, and numerous other articles suitable for Christmas presents. Yes, who doesn't want a good toilet set for Christmas? 
Finally, this piece on food fads from the Australian in Perth, Western Australia. Food faddists are responsible for many silly fables, but the most cranky tale they ever invented is that suet puddings are indigestible. As a matter of fact, and of experience, they're the most easily digestible and wholesome sweet, provided the right things are put into them. Sun-raised currants, sultanas and raisins should form at least 50% of every boiled pudding. They are nice in the packet, nice to eat and nice inside. Let's have a short break now so we can all go and grab a Christmas treat and I'll see you back soon with some more news. Save your holidays this Christmas with Kodak. A holiday without a Kodak is a holiday wasted, just a memory of a splendid time that will rapidly fade away. How different a holiday with a Kodak. This simple instrument, a pleasure to use, becomes a store in which you deposit a record of your happiness. The picnic you had at the river, that day on the beach, the bathing and boating excursions, the people you met and the places you saw. Then, when you come home, you have a collection of interesting pictures to show your friends what good times you had and to live over again the happiness of your holiday whenever you wish. The gift problem too is most satisfactorily solved if you give Kodaks to grown-ups and brownies to the children. Save your holidays this Christmas with Kodak. Judging by the number of many good things on show at Brown and Browns, it would seem as though Santa Claus had made his headquarters right at these busy premises, opposite the post office. No matter your wants, they can be satisfied and supplied from a stock which embraces everything for the festive season, whether wearable, eatable or presentable. Before purchasing, make sure of seeing Mrs Brown and Brown's stock. Well, a few ideas in those advertisements there for you folks, if you haven't quite got your Christmas presents yet. But now it's almost time to wrap up this Christmas Eve bulletin of This Was the News. But here's one more story from 1920, reported a century ago in the Bunyip from Gawler, South Australia. The advent of the recurring season of the mistletoe is looked upon in a variety of ways by people of varying temperaments. To the pleasure-loving temperament, it is enough that it is a season of jubilation. Little thought is given to the inner meaning of the festival, indeed as the reason for observances at all. A thoroughly Pickwickian spirit of good cheer characterises their demonstrations of effervescent spirits. Eating and drinking bulk large in their scale of enjoyment. Epicurean delights grace the festive board. The air resounds with the cry of the children as the laden Christmas tree and the paternal and jolly old Father Christmas unfold their burdens of delight for the ecstatic little ones. The house resounds with the echoes of the mirth of visitors. Family reunions are the order of the day. The bells of the Christmas services, the harmonies of the joyful and quaint old beautiful Christmas carols, The greenery and the decorations, the bonbons and the paper caps, 
all combine to lend to the stage an air and an unforgettable atmosphere which is uniquely uplifting to the spirits. There are others of the shrewder and more avaricious sort who regard Christmas as a heaven-sent opportunity for increasing business opportunities. It is a time above all others when one throws a sprat in order to catch a mackerel, a golden harvest in which to trade upon the universal custom of present giving and so make business flourish with fat parcels and empty jackets everywhere. There are those of the cynical turn of mind who regard Christmas as an inevitable bore, a time when the weary housewife has to add to the year's drudgery of cooking a mountain of new labours, when one wishes to goodness one had not so many friends who must all be remembered in greeting, when one has to undergo the usual heavy tribute of spending one's money on useless gifts, when all the ordered routine of life is upset by acute disorder and chaos, when one is glad to see the last of it all. There are still, however, on the earth, those in whom the Christmas season has a danger and fuller meaning than to any of these. It is to them, in the old-fashioned way, a season of goodwill and affection. A season when the old feuds are buried, when the frozen springs of animosity melt and burst out with gushing jets of kindness when old forgotten friendships are revived, when a new joy sits at the feast, when the unquenchable yearnings of the heart after high ideals are renewed at the cradle of Bethlehem with the birth of the Prince of Peace. Such people hear again the song of the angel hosts who sang as the shepherds watched their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. For them the star in the east dawns again, the day spring from on high visits them, To them is vouchsafed the vision glorious, and Christmas has for them all the best and highest meanings which it has to others, with an added abiding, deeper joy, throbbing and pulsating beneath the rippling surface. In such a spirit of goodwill, we look back over the year and wish one and all, in the good old-fashioned way, a Merry Christmas. And with that Christmas wish, I'm going to echo that sentiment and wish you all a Merry Christmas in a good old-fashioned way as befits This Was The News. We come to the end of the News Bulletin for December 24, 1920. And this is also time for me to put a pause on this podcast. It's been a wonderful year of episodes and a great project. I've thoroughly enjoyed exploring history during a year that's certain to go down in history in its own right. This podcast may return, but as of today, it's going on an extended hiatus. So for now, all I have to say is, this was, this was the news. This was the news is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to listen to all our old episodes. Subscribe, review it on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcasting app. 
This was the news can be followed on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. A huge thank you for listening to today's episode and all the previous episodes that I've had such pleasure making for you. I'm Broderick Matthews and this was the news. Thank you.